This is the Pariah Podcast, written and read by me, Philip Carroll. And this is episode number 17, At the Swamp. Keo saw her then, the top of her head, just beyond his platform. He knew her thoughts and worries as clearly as the walnut-brown hair of Crystal Spinebeck. She sat on a log, rolled next to his platform for the purpose, her back to him, so she didn't see his approach. Crystal, he called in his mind. She spun around and jumped to her feet, as if expecting to find him standing directly behind her. Her round cheeks glowed with sudden excitement and embarrassment. Embarrassed? Keo wondered why she should feel that way. Her wide eyes considered him from the distance, and he sensed her anxiety and fear. "'Are you waiting for me?' he called out. She licked her lips, and Keo felt her expectation and desire. His mind and body reacted without his intention. His breath came roughly as he understood her need. As he approached, a wave of fear emanated from Crystal so strongly he shook in response. She ran to him. They stood in the ferns and moss just off the clearing around his platform her eyes down, her head barely as high as his shoulder. In the direct rays of the afternoon sun, her scalp blushed as red as her face, where her hair parted on one side. He took her face in his hands and turned it to look up at him. Why are you afraid? he asked aloud, hoping to calm and reassure her. Images filled her mind and overflowed into his as her memory broke free of barriers carefully built and reinforced over the last seven years. Images of the eight-year-old girl arriving at the gate of her aunt and uncle, of moving into a room to live down the hallway from cousins, the only girl of them all, six of the boys older than her by four years. Images of their abuse flooded his mind until he couldn't understand how any human could do such a thing to another, especially one which they called family. Cruel and cunning, they tormented her, filled her days and nights with pain and horror, too afraid to be alone in her room, but too afraid to ask for help. Crystal stood rigid, her arms down at her sides and her eyes squeezed shut. Her whole body shook. Keo pulled her to the edge of his platform where they could sit and wrapped his arms around the little woman. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry they did that to you. You didn't deserve it. You don't deserve to have that memory in your beautiful head. You're good. You're pure. You love. You don't hate. I'm so sorry, Crystal. I won't let that happen to you ever again. Sitting with her on the edge of the platform, he stroked the back of her head. He rubbed her shoulders and squeezed an arm around her waist. Keo wanted to brush the evil memories from her. He wanted to peel the doubt from her, take away the self-loathing. Keo heard from inside her mind, I deserved it. I asked for it. I wanted it. I needed to feel bad because I was bad. A stupid, little, fat, bad girl who everyone hated so much she was sent away to that place. No, Keo spoke firmly, holding her face so he could look into her eyes and keep her from looking down and turning back into herself. You didn't deserve that. Open your eyes and look at me. Open your eyes. She gazed at him through tears. I'm so bad. Crystal cried. I can't help it. I'm just bad. No, Crystal. 
The swamp must be making you feel this way, bringing up bad memories. You're good. You're sweet and pure and loving and caring and... And... Keo gasped, amazed at the intensity of the emotions brought on by their proximity to the swamp. No, no, oh, she sobbed. Keo slipped off the platform and stood between her knees to wrap his arms around her again. He pulled her toward him and squeezed her small body against his. She was warmer than the hot day. She brought her arms up and rested them around his shoulders, tucking her face into his neck. She swayed back and forth as her anguish poured from her mind to his. Keo took her face in his hands once more and kissed her on the lips. Crystal leaned into him, opening her mouth to his. His breathing became rapid and he wanted to kiss her more deeply, to press his lips against hers until they became one. Crystal shook as shivers ran up and down her spine, and her fear began to dissipate. She squeezed him tightly one last time and looked at him sleepily, her face wet with tears and her lips wet with Keo's kisses. Her arms still around Keo's neck, she sagged against him and closed her eyes. Crystal's mental messages slowed and stopped as she dropped off to sleep. Lifting her small body and sweeping aside the mosquito netting, Keo settled her onto his mat. He sat on the fallen tree bench to think through what had just happened. As his passion eased, the presence of others around the camp returned to his awareness. Many members of his corps were nearby involved in their own emotional introspection, though none appeared to experience the sorrowful depths that Crystal had. Keo located Bree and Belinda on their platform close by. They both exuded relaxed complacency. He easily found his other corps leaders. Nick? Had the link leader followed him to his platform when Keo was distracted by Crystal? Keo stood and looked around. His presence seemed so close and thick with conflict. As he searched the trees beyond his platform, Nick's mental presence retreated rapidly. Was he running away or only pulling back his awareness? Had he been there long? Was the boy spying on him? Keo sat back down to continue his watch over the sleeping Crystal. While Nick's presence didn't return, Keo was unable to shake the uneasiness that arrived in his wake. He found himself startling with every chirping cricket or falling acorn. As the dinner hour neared, many of the trainees were likewise on their mats, physically drained by the new experiences with unusual emotions. They left collars unbuttoned and their summer uniforms in general disarray, relaxing in the spring humidity. Keo watched Crystal sleep on his mat for a while. Deciding she wasn't going to wake soon, he went for a walk around the camp. Many still sat in groups, talking, while others slept. He didn't find Nick among them. He buffered his mind against the many emotional messages projected by over 300 trainees, yet they still bombarded him like the dull roar of a storm through sturdy stone walls. Beyond the rise and fall of waves of human emotion was a hissing sound he hadn't noticed earlier in the day. He wondered, he hoped, this was the call of the eggs and that a single voice would resolve out of it. Bree and Belinda walked into the clearing from the trees toward the swamp. Their emotions weren't happy and very conflicted. He detected love, disappointment, frustration, regret, 
and determination from them both in varying levels that made it difficult to tell from whom which came. They both smiled when he passed, and he recognized friendship, respect, and acceptance from each. Would others feel the intense emotions of the core members around them? Or was this something only he experienced? It was no wonder that Sergeant Nightsong rarely came to the swamp. She would likely have the same intense experience as he did. Finger foods and snacks were left out throughout the day for those wandering in from their introspection in the woods. The training staff roused the camp for dinner an hour later than usual as no one was terribly hungry. A casual meeting was held after dinner where Sergeant Malcourt and his wife led a discussion of the trainees' experiences. They sat in an amphitheater of split log benches. Crystal sat next to Keel and rested her head on his shoulder. From their reports, it was clear most had not experienced any direct feeling of emotion from another, only a general relaxed feeling of well-being and camaraderie. The Malcourts wished them all a good night and not to worry about unusual dreams. There were many emotions that would only cross into their minds while they were asleep, and the calls of their eggs were often loudest during dreams. If you dream a single time of finding an egg, it may just be that, a dream, Sergeant Malcourt told them as he and his wife stood to leave. However, those who dream the same dream more than one night should try to identify landmarks around the egg as repeated dreams are often the creature calling to its partner. A thin, warm mist rose and hung in the air above the treetops as night fell. Few stars shone through, and the moon was not yet up. The first corps was camped across the trail from the main assembly area to the smaller amphitheater, opposite the fourth corps. Keo walked Crystal back to her platform. Crystal asked, "'What did you feel this afternoon?' when we were together. I felt a lot of things, Crystal. Many hard to explain. Can you describe what you felt? No, not really. I only felt good, from you, that is. I felt safe. You told me things that were comforting to what I felt inside. I felt the memory of things from my childhood bubble up within me and relived horrible events that I can never describe to anyone. You would hate me if you knew that about me. She leaned her head against his shoulder as they walked. But with every bad memory and every self-loathing thought, you spoke to me. You told me you were sorry and that those things were past, that they would never happen again, that I deserved more to be happy, to be loved. She held on to Keo's arm and slowed him to stop. She looked up into his face. There were tears on hers again, rolling down her round cheeks. It was as if you were watching those same images as they appeared in my mind, and you answered each one, reassuring me, protecting me. Keel, I want to tell you I love you, but I don't know if I really do. Is it the swamp making me feel this way? Is it the release of those old memories and fears that seem to lift away in your presence? Or is it you, who is so kind, that you have treated me like a person since we first met, and not as an opportunity for advancement? or a hindrance. She reached up and put her hands onto his chest and smoothed them outward to grasp his shoulders. She rose on tiptoes and kissed him, and he took her in. He bent and lifted her up so she didn't need to strain and kissed her soundly. Keo woke in his bed the next morning, unable to remember any dreams from the night's sleep. 
After breakfast and the morning assembly in the amphitheater, Keo stayed where he sat when Crystal rose. She looked at him with a smile and put her hand on his head and asked, Are you going to stay here? There was no accusation in her voice, no pretense to the sincere question. Yes, I think so, for a while, he said. What about you? Do you have any plans for today? Yes, this morning I thought I'd like to be alone for a while. She said with a small emotional tinge of anxiety she would hurt his feelings. I want to walk to the edge of the swamp and see what I can feel. I was afraid to go there yesterday, but much of my fear is gone now. I want to listen out into the swamp without distraction. Does that make sense? Absolutely, Keo said, placing a hand on her hip. She put her hand on his, bent down, and they kissed. He watched her go. Crystal tilted her head to the side with a quick twitch. He had seen the movement a hundred times before and never understood it until now, as her hair flipped from in front of her face over her shoulder. Her hair bounced for a few steps, before childishly creeping back over her shoulder to tickle her cheek. She twitched again and started the routine all over again. In the training camp, with her hair in the required clip, her hair never left its assigned post, trailing down her neck and back. She was so short that he smiled. Whenever he had pictured who he might fall in love with, it was always someone like Sergeant Nightsong, tall, slender, exotic, not the short, roundish girl with the rosy cheeks. She was certainly not as roundish as she had been when they first arrived at the camp. In fact, her linen uniforms from last summer, brought out for the warmth of the swamp, hung on her like she'd taken up someone else's tunic and hose. Sergeant Malcourt and his wife walked up to him, hand in hand, where he sat. Keo had been hoping he would have the chance to speak to them and stood as they approached. Sergeant Malcourt, may I ask you a question? Of course, Corps Leader. That's our main purpose here. I've discovered new feelings here, like for people I didn't know I cared so much about. I thought I would have fallen in love with Bree. I mean, I really admire her. She's been a great support and friend over the last year, and I've even imagined, well, being with her. But now I've fallen in love with someone different, someone different than I ever thought I would. Both the sergeant and his wife smiled. Kyander stepped forward and ran her fingers through his hair. In shock, Keo felt emotion coming from her. He felt her attraction to him, and he felt a welling up in him to be with her, to hold her and caress her as she was doing to him. And she was so old, probably thirty years or more. Keo, her voice smooth and melodic, like she was singing his name, it has a lot to do with the swamp. We don't know what causes it. If it's magic left here by the gods for us to learn from, or to make it easier to find the eggs, or if it has some more organic cause, like from the gases in the air. It promotes empathy and can be easily distracting. That's why you are left to wander around for the first few days, to adjust to it. And that is also why any leaders who come here bring their spouses or partners. It's said that in the past, too many of the leaders were unable to sort out their own feelings from those brought on by the swamp. So, will my feelings change a lot when I leave? Will I go back to loving one and not the other? Keo asked. It's hard to say, Kyander continued. 
you will probably feel stronger emotions for both than before you experienced anything here with them. But believe me when I say, after you find your egg, all your feelings for others will change and will become secondary to how you feel about your creature companion. That bond is so strong it makes it hard for creature handlers to have permanent relationships with anyone other than another creature handler. Only one who has carried an egg can understand the commitment or the allegiance we have to our creature companions. So don't worry too much about what happens here. Just keep enough sense to not go too far with anyone. That would certainly complicate your creature relationship and your status in the training. All right, thank you. But I have one more question. Again, they both waited for him to continue. I hear a lot of emotions from all around. I can look around me and point to where Crystal is, or Bree, or any of my link leaders. At times it gets so noisy in my head, I have to push everything back, or I feel like I'll go deaf. No one else seems to have that problem. Is it just me? The sergeant and his wife were no longer the placid couple they had seemed before. No, Keo, that's not normal. In fact, I have never actually met anyone who could do what you're doing. There's nothing wrong with it, exactly. You should still be able to identify your egg out of the rest, but I wouldn't tell too many people about this. Not here, at least. It might make others feel as if they're lacking something and result in their becoming frustrated or discouraged. He glanced at his wife and asked, Can you tell me how I feel about Kyander right now? Kia laughed. Ever since we got here the other night, I could see in your eyes how madly in love you are. You both have a constant glow of peace and satisfaction in your relationship. Neither of you doubts the other's intentions, even when Kyander touched my hair and sent a burst of desire at me. But just then, you were overcome by her eyes. That is amazing. Keo, the sergeant said, tell me, can you hear your egg calling to you yet? I hear them constantly. It's a soft crackling sound like popping corn heard from a distance. Yet, within all that crackling, there is an occasional pop, and I know that's my creature. If I tried hard and took my time, I think I could find it right now. You have an amazing gift, Keo, Kyander said. You should talk with Sergeant Nightsong when we get back. She would be very interested. Thank you. I'll be sure to talk with her. We've already talked a little as it is. They left Keo standing in the amphitheater, wondering what to do next. He decided to go back to his platform and pick up his mud boots. As soon as he turned that way, he felt a presence in the trees watching him. He walked toward the platform as if he didn't see her in the shadows in case she was hiding from him. Her emotion projected worry and self-doubt, but underneath them, desire. Keo, Bree said from the shadows of the pine trees. Bree, were you waiting for me? Yeah, I guess I was. In fact, that's what I wanted to ask you, she said, her eyebrows raised like a peasant child, asking the lord of the manor for a favor. I wanted to ask you when it would be my turn. Empathy didn't warn him about this. Could it be her turn for what? I'm sorry, Bree. You surprised me. I don't know what to say. I mean, what happened to Belinda? Bree blushed across her nose and cheeks, darkening the already dark freckles, and said, I thought you knew me better than that. I thought so, too. 
but so much is happening here to me, and so fast, it's hard to keep up with it. Belinda and I will always be friends. That's the way friends are. But she wants something different than I do. Will you still be my friend, Bree, if I want something different as well? Do you? Or are you just accepting what's easiest, what you don't have to work for? She wanted him to give in to her. That would be the easiest right now, and he felt her desire for him and her contempt for Crystal. Could Bree have contempt for anyone? You don't like Crystal? What do you have against her? Keo asked, and Bree seemed unsurprised that he should ask. Only that she has what I want, and she doesn't deserve it, you. She's had you all to herself for months, with you walking around the inspection grounds, and me, I'm sitting in the barracks, and I can't have you because I'm right across the hallway. How is that, Faye? She felt betrayed and cast off, discarded. Keo shook his head. I can't tell you how badly I wanted you, how badly I do want you. I know what you mean about being so close, but I can't touch. I've looked at you every day and thought how much I would like to hold your hand or play with your ears or kiss your lips. Each day, you're more beautiful to me, yet more alluring. But I can't just walk away from Crystal. I... Why not? She has no claim on you. After we get back to camp, it will be back to hands-off for another year. Until we're in our creature units and we can, well, get to know others who aren't in the same unit. She was confused and distracted. She frowned, looking down. But can't we both love you? She doesn't have to, know. She's not here now. And she'll be back in her own court tonight. Why can't you come to me tonight? And we can have each other until the morning. It was true. Truer than she knew. Keo could feel Crystal's presence out in the trees. She was happy. She felt secure and complete. She must have been speaking with others in her core since she projected feelings of respect, gratitude, and camaraderie. But he could keep her in the back of his mind, watching for her while he... while he what? And that would be okay with you? I could spend the night with you and in the morning I would return to Crystal and she would be none the wiser? Bree exuded betrayal, confusion, rejection, and anger. I'm sorry, Bree. I want to say I'll be with you, but just an hour ago, I was asking myself, asking the sergeant, if I was in love with Crystal. I don't know if I am, but I think I might be, and I don't want to just discard her before I know for sure that I'm not. I'm sorry, Bree. I really am. She was hurt. He didn't need powerful, empathic abilities to see that written across her face. She regretted she'd brought it up. She was embarrassed she had been rejected. Please don't hate me for this, Bree. She wiped tears from her eyes and walked away without another word. Keo grabbed his boots off his platform and walked back out to the main assembly area. From there, he had a clear view of the major mud flat to the south and the shallow lake beyond. In the clearing, cooking staff were building fires and laying out meat. Across the clearing, maybe a hundred yards away, Keo could see members of other companies in the tree line and felt their distant emotions, wonder at the experiences, infatuations with new friends, and mild interest in what was going on in the main assembly area. Was Storgant there? If he was, his emotions were no stronger than those of the trainees around him. 
Someone walked past within speaking distance. Is lunch going to be in the main assembly area today? Keo asked. No, dinner. On the third night, we have a feast and make sure the entire battalion mixes together. There will be lots of food, competitions, and even some music and dancing. Keo thanked the man and wandered toward the south end of the area, where the grasses gave way to moss and mud. He stood on the bank, listening to the distant call of the eggs. The sounds of cracking and popping yesterday had become a steady, even hiss as more of the eggs woke up and began to call to their companions. Buried within the combined calls was the regular click-click-click of his egg, which spoke to him on a deeper and more personal level. The rest of the day's activities were announced at lunchtime in the company assembly areas. Keo didn't see Bree around, but he felt her presence a distance off, in the trees to the west. His chest burned when he saw Crystal waiting by his platform. As she saw him, Keo felt her emotions flare, and like a faithful dog to its mistress, he found himself unable to turn away from her, as Crystal's desire for him dragged him to her. She sat on the edge of the platform. She pointed her toes down and swung her feet, trying to brush the ground but not quite reaching it. Keo walked up and locked her knees between his. He reached down and finger-combed her fine hair, tipping her head back so that he could look into her eyes. She loved him. There was no doubt in his mind that she loved him with all her heart. Her bounding emotion was a sledgehammer pounding a wedge into his heart, and it felt good. She ran her hands up beneath his tunic and tugged at his under-tunic, untucking it from his hose. She ran her fingers across his back, and tingling spasms of pleasure rippled down his spine and up his legs. She watched him with pleasure at the sensations which she caused in him, and in herself. Keo looked down at her, past her dimpled chin. He saw her tunic was unbuttoned. Not far, but enough to expose a bit of white flesh hidden within. Keo placed his hands beneath her arms and took hold of her ribs and lifted her from her seat on the platform. He stood her on the edge, towering above him for once. She blushed, feeling out of place, and knelt, bringing their eyes and mouths level with one another. She kissed his neck, then bit it lightly, igniting his passion. Keo squeezed her against him, kissing her until he thought his ears rang. In the large assembly area, someone pounded on a metal skillet, over and over, announced the beginning of the afternoon games. Let's see what they have planned for us, Crystal said. All right, Keo said, lifting her from the platform and placing her on the ground. I don't think I'll be able to compete in any running races. My legs feel a bit wobbly. Crystal laughed and walked under his arm and put hers around his waist. A variety of competitions were arrayed one after another. There were running races and jumping challenges, climbing competitions, lifting weights and throwing balls, fencing and archery. As Keo felt the variety of emotions, frustration, aggression, condescension, and more, he understood the purpose of this activity. Without this release of pent-up competitiveness, many of the trainees would be crippled and unable to break through to the emotion to connect with their creature companions. Keo didn't feel up to running, climbing, or jumping, but when he came upon the pitchfork toss, he knew he'd have to give this one a throw. He had spent every autumn of his youth pitching hay into stacks and onto wagons, Though he hadn't pitched any hay since coming to the training camp, it was a skill his body remembered well. 
After his allotted three throws, his best throw was marked at the longest so far that day. What he really wanted to try was the archery competition, though he wasn't the only one. When they reached the line, there was a good number ahead of him. I'm going to get a drink, Crystal said, ran her hand down Keo's arm and walked away. As the queue moved forward, Keo reached a rack of bows. He picked one up and tested its weight, pulling back on the string. Where's your fat girlfriend? Keo heard a familiar voice ask. He ignored it, hearing the intimidation and the challenge behind the words. You must not have heard me ask you where your fat, stupid girlfriend is, Vangel said, an undertone of desperation running underneath the other emotions. He was pushing for a fight, but he wasn't going to get it. Maybe I've been wrong, Vengel acted sincere and surprised. Maybe your girlfriend is that foreign dog, that ugly, orange-haired foreign whore. The last bit got under Keo's skin and he twitched. Oh, Storgan said, raising his eyes dramatically. Did you hear that one? Is it that foreign pig that warms your legs? Keo breathed slowly and shook his head, not responding. Are you as stupid as she is, or are you deaf and can't hear me? I hear you better than you can imagine, Storgant, and you're not going to egg me into a fight. Do you hear that? You're not going to get me to throw myself out by throwing a punch at you. Storgant followed Keo onto the firing line, talking to him the whole time. Keo had enough practice in the preceding two days of blocking out the emotional blasts from 300 other trainees. It was no real challenge to ignore Vangled chattering behind him. Five targets were set up at varying distances. Keo was given 15 arrows and given one minute to fire one arrow at each from the left to the right three times. A perfect score of three arrows in each bullseye would be 75 points. Keo scored 68. Storgant, Keo said, handing the other boy the bow, if you want to fight, take this and beat my score. Keo turned his back and walked away. He didn't know if Storgant had spoken out loud or if he had heard him in his head, and it was quiet. I'll get my fight, and you'll lose. Food was available from mid-afternoon until late at night. When several of the leaders brought out stringed instruments and a variety of pipes, the young people were drawn to the sound. Keo and Crystal danced a few steps he had learned in the capital, and Crystal taught him a dance she knew from her uncle's home. Surprised by a feeling of apprehension and reservation behind him, and then a tap on his shoulder, one of Crystal's link leaders cut in to dance with his core leader. Keo stepped to the side and watched the other dancers lost in the freedom of music and movement they hadn't enjoyed for a year. Overwhelming feelings of happiness pulsed from the dance floor. Kayleen stepped before him and held out her hand. This brings back memories, doesn't it? Come dance with me. Keo returned to the steps she had taught him at the inn and the old familiarity with her shape and motion. It was too loud to talk, but he didn't need to. He felt her emotions and wondered if his confusion spilled back to her at all. She pulsed with regret, shame, ambition, and determination. What had she done since they last danced that she might regret or be ashamed of? She smiled throughout the song, hiding the emotions which changed from one beat to the next like colors on a butterfly's wings in flight. Thank you, she said, looking away as the song ended. 
Thanks for the dance. And she laughed. Keo looked around, wondering what had caused the sudden exit, and saw Bree standing at the side of the dancing area. He didn't look for Crystal. She was still laughing somewhere in his mind, associating with the trainees of her core. Would you dance with me? He asked Bree. She didn't smile as she looked him in the eyes and nodded her head. She held out a hand for Keo to take. The song was a slow one, meant for less bouncing and more swaying. Keo held her for the first time since they had met a year ago and wished he hadn't. She felt right with her arms around him, his hands on her waist. He had never held her before, yet he felt this was part of his destiny, to have her with him. Bree buried her face in his neck and clung to him. He felt her breast press against his chest, realizing there was much more there than the female tunics let show, and thrills ran up his legs and his back, and suddenly she was crying. Anguish pounded through his chest from the strange-looking foreign girl, pushing against his heart as it passed, wringing from it his own deep sense of regret at missing the opportunity to be with her as he had wished and dreamed for the last six months. Yet the whole time, the other stood in his mind, the girl who had been hurt by her cousins, beaten down by her uncle, and belittled by her friends and equals. He let Bree cry, and as the song ended, so did her sobs. The next song was much more lively, and they danced an acceptable jig, though the smiles on their faces were forced and artificial, and the bounce in their steps lethargic. He walked her slowly to the side. She leaned heavily on his arm, and he was reticent to let her go. Bree, a boy from their corps said as they approached. Corps leader, do you mind if I have a dance with the link leader? Sure, Martin. Remember, we're all just trainees here right now. I'm Keo for the next few days. Right, Keo. Thanks, he said and took Bree back out to the dance floor. Keo took a turn with Belinda, who was equal to all those he danced with and better than most. They shouted meaningless small talk at each other while dancing, and he registered the emotions of companionship, respect, and from time to time attraction to someone they passed. He was never able to tell whom, though. Eventually, he and Crystal came back together and danced several more dances before he walked her back to her platform to kiss her goodnight. Stay with me here, tonight? she asked. What did he read from her? Desperation? Abandonment? Isolation? How must it have been to be sent away by your family, to be bullied and molested by your cousins beneath the apathetic eye of a manipulative and hateful uncle? Had she ever known love? acceptance, and safety from her parents? Probably not. She was eight years old when they sent her away. How could he reject her offer now? Thanks for listening to the Pariah Podcast. If you'd like updates on the podcast, other fiction I'm working on, or to join my monthly newsletter, where you'll get a free short story from one of my environments, go to norvaljoe.com. You'll be directed from there. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.